It's an amazing story of, of faith and of promise. So I'd love just to pray for Leanne as she comes to preach. Um, she has got such a word on her heart for us as a community. So just um, stretch your hands towards her if you... Lord, we thank you for Leanne. We thank you for her voice. We thank you for the message that you've placed within our heart this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, won't you come and speak to each and every one of us so clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I am going to dive straight into the passage today without even giving much of an introduction to myself. It's very rude. Um, but you can see it up on the screen there. The Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abram looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who prepared it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> so glad people are laughing. I love that. That's, that last verse is my favorite. Um, yes, you did laugh. And, and if you're wondering why the passage ends abruptly there, it's because that's a conversation cul-de-sac right there. Even in ancient Hebrew times, yes, you did laugh. There's no comeback from that. Hello to all of the familiar and friendly faces today, and for those of you who are new here or here to celebrate Sue and Levi, I hope you feel so welcome. Um, my name's Leanne, I'm a budding theologian and part of the team that leads our church, and much like Sarah's life, I have a very inappropriate sense of humor, which is most likely to pop up in all the wrong places today, so I apologize in advance. Um, but Sarah and I have some other things in common, which I have very helpfully tabulated in an incredibly important slide over here. As you can see, Sarah and I both have inappropriate laughs. What you probably don't know, okay, Sarah had an infertility struggle for 25 years, and I had one for three years. 
We both birthed children eventually. Sorry, that's a spoiler alert. I have three children, Hannah, Jude, and Shiloh, and Sarah births Isaac. I had a brief medical career. Sources have not confirmed that this was true for Sarah. Um, and Sarah offered an employee to her husband as a substitute to conceive a child, and I'm very happy to tell you that I did not do that. Today I'm hoping to show you a really important truth as we unpack this passage. And for those of you who can't wait, I'm going to put it right here in the front. Let's see the next slide. God is looking for people like Abraham and Sarah, like you and I, to lavish his unconditional love on and to take on a wondrous adventure. But he's not going to force it on us. He waits patiently for us to respond to him with just the tiniest bit of faith. It's our faith that pleases God, not our performance. I'm going to show us again and again today the humanity of Abraham and Sarah and how God responds to their humanness with grace and faithfulness. In the interest of time, we're definitely going to finish before 11 today for those timekeepers who are worried, but we're not going to focus on the first eight verses except for one thing that I don't want want to pass us by, and that's about Abraham. So in those first verses, we saw Abraham rushing out, rolling out the red carpet of hospitality for these strangers in a desert land, which might seem a bit spectacular to us in these days, but in the desert culture, that was just the norm. If some stranger came wandering in the desert, everyone knew how close death could be. You brought them food, you brought them water. It wasn't just a kindness, it was just the norm. It's easy to think of Abraham as a hero, Um, had received visitations from God on a daily basis. We can imagine a mirage-like scene with three glowing deities approaching, but that's not actually what happened in this passage. And this passage is referred to in Hebrews on the... Oh, great. Fun? (laughs) One step ahead of me. Um, Do not forget to show hospitalities to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's referring directly to to what happened with Abraham. So when Abraham welcomes and feeds these three visitors, he doesn't recognize them as heavenly messengers. And it's only in verse 13, which we'll get to later, that he realizes their identity. And the crafter of Genesis shows this to us. He says, when he refers to these three men or one of them, and only in verse 13, he says, the Lord, um, which is to show us that Abraham, our protagonist, has now realized that this is the Lord. And why did Abraham realize this at this point? It's because a stranger, someone he'd never met, told him something really important about his life that this person couldn't have known. It's easy to forget the humanity of the characters in the story. Can you imagine Abraham, a man in his 70s, 80s, 90s, getting this promise that he's going to have a child? He's a respectable man. He has been childless for decades. Do you think he ran around telling everybody, as Tim Keller puts it, hey, yeah, my wife and I are expecting a child. No, no, not biologically, but but we are expecting it. Um, Sometime before, I don't know, before we turn 100, we're going to have a baby. No, (laughs) that's not what he said. No, he didn't tell them that because it sounds bizarre. He kept this to himself. The only other person he told was Sarah. So when the stranger approaches him in the desert and says, you will have a child within one year, 
he knows. The only other person who knew this was the person who told him. It was God. And you can imagine it for yourself. If something that you're thinking about that's really significant about your life or really personal comes out of the mouth of a stranger that you meet, it's one of those moments a lot of us have experienced where it feels almost like heaven is touching earth. And we need to pay attention to those moments. God can speak to us in so many different ways. Okay, back to the story. Let's look at verses 9 to 10. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Let me do a very brief recap. Um, I know we've got a lot of new people here today. Um, We've been going through Abraham and his story in the Old Testament. Abraham was a a moon worshipper who God builds relationship with. He's seen um, in the Christian faith as a prototype of our faith, and he's spoken of many times, um, notably in Hebrews, which we're going to read in a moment. The purpose of this passage in Hebrews was actually to tell us this. It's our faith, not our performance, that pleases God. But let's read it as a convenient summary of Abraham and Sarah. Because it's chapters, chapters in Genesis. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. And like a stranger in a foreign country, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so this one man, and, from he, um, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let's see the next slide. Abraham is a prototype of our faith. Now, Finn's ahead of me today. I said to him, no, I'll tell you, but he can see. Um, It's a prototype of our faith, but he's also the prototype of our humanity and our faithlessness. And sometimes as a new Christian or someone surveying the Christian faith from the outside, as some of you may be today, one of the stumbling blocks is you look at the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, and they look really different. But if you look carefully, you can see the same God as viewed through different generations of people in different times and with different degrees of revelation. Abraham disappoints us again and again in the story of Genesis. He disappoints us when he gives his wife as a a kind of concubine to the Pharaoh in exchange for his safety. He disappoints us when, as we'll see later in the story, Sarah offers him Hagar as, as a substitute. I mean, Abraham is the one who received the promise, and wouldn't we have loved him to say, no, Sarah, we've got a promise over our lives, let's wait. But he disappoints us. He disappoints Sarah. Even in the Old Testament, we see a God of grace who chooses less than perfect people, people like you and I, people who make mistakes and people who are disappointing, to partner with. Let's talk about Sarah. God has already made this promise four times. He's made it to Abraham four times. And he repeats his promises to us because he knows our hearts are slow to believe. He's kind and patient. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, 
I don't know God is kind and patient. Well, I've got good news for you because you're not alone. Sarah felt the same way. Sarah, who is praised in Hebrews as being a woman of faith, had many doubts about who God is. I used to see faith and doubt as being on a continuum. Here's doubt, here's faith, and here are the people who have amazing faith. But I've come to see faith and doubt as different plants growing in the garden of our mind. You can have doubt growing up, you can have faith growing up. They're not just on a continuum. And you can see this in Mark 9, where there's a a desperate father who cries out to to Jesus to help him. Um, His son is, is an epileptic. And, he, and Jesus says, if you have faith, I will heal your son. And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. We've got different plants growing in the gardens of our minds. Back to the promise in the current passage. God is repeating this promise a fifth time, and this time he's talking to Sarah. And he approaches her very differently to how he approached Abraham. Um, I'm not going to read it today, but the third time God approached Abraham, I'm just going to tell us quickly in the interest of time. There was a pillar of fire, there was smoke, there was burning coals, it was dark, there was a sense of fear. And God walked between the spatchcocked bodies of animals and made a covenant with Abraham. Now let's look at how he approaches Sarah in this passage we've just read. It's the heat of the day, the sun is out, it's bright. There's no smoke, there's no burning coals, there's no fear, there's no butchered animals. And there are three ordinary-looking travelers. One of them asks for Sarah specifically. God wants her attention. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But first, let's notice how God talks to each of us differently. God spoke to Abraham and Sarah in ways that was unique to each of them. And Jesse actually touched on this last week. (laughs) Don't compare how God speaks to you to how he speaks to other people that you know, your spiritual fathers, um, your friends, your relatives. God speaks to each of us differently. And don't be disappointed if the way that God speaks to you isn't as showy or as dramatic as how he speaks to somebody else. And I'm talking to myself here as well. So God speaks to each of us in our own language. And you may want to look for patterns in your life when you feel almost heaven touching your heart or something, something special happening. And learn to recognize the sound of his voice as it sounds to you. It could be an odd coincidence, a message coming at you from various different sides, or a feeling you get when you hear a piece of music. Learn to hear the way God speaks to you. God's underlying message to each of us has the same foundational elements, but his relationship and the way he delivers it to us can be very, very different. So I said the the reason for this fifth utterance of the promise was all for Sarah. Abraham had heard the same promise just a few weeks before, but now God's saying the same thing, and this time he wants Sarah to hear it. There it is. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And I nearly left this part of the message out, but I think it's really important. Um... Because if we don't talk about this here in the church, we leave the world to define the narrative. What does Sarah mean when she refers to this pleasure? And this is somewhat controversial. There's a lot of things she could mean. She could mean the pleasure of beholding a baby. 
She could mean the pleasure of birth or becoming a mother. But Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite theologians, um, he's recently passed, but he um, was a pastor in New York City. He argues, by unpacking the Hebrew word for pleasure, that this is a, a word referring to a kind of biological pleasure by which a baby is conceived. Abraham was given the message that Sarah is to be the mother of his child. And he's not planning a virgin birth. We know that he does that later in the story, a story that has a lot of similar elements to this one where God gives us his son to the world. But this time he's planning on biological father Abraham and biological mother Sarah. And we know that Sarah has been declared barren for 25 years, which is really easy to gloss over. I'm a mother to three beautiful children now. But for three years, my husband Ray and I struggled to conceive a child. And it feels kind of like a nicely detached memory now, but I remember at the time I used to say to people, it's not really that helpful to think of it as three years, like one, two, three. It was 33 cycles of hope and disappointment and sometimes despair. And I've done the maths for us with Sarah, that's 25 years, it's 300 cycles of hope, disappointment. It's 300 times that Sarah would have had to walk that walk of shame to the red tent where the Hebrew women who were menstruating were quarantined. Easy to read, painful to live. This theme of the humanity of Abraham and Sarah has been brought up so many times in this series, and we see it here for Sarah. We saw that Abraham was recently told for the fourth time about this promise. But Sarah is not keen, both biologically and spiritually speaking, to take this step again. But here God appears to her in his grace and makes sure she hears kindly that it's time to move towards this promise. God doesn't just want to give Abraham a son. He wants to give Abraham and Sarah a family to draw them back to each other and make them parents and to make them partners. He's preparing Abraham and Sarah for the gift they're about to receive. And to do that, he nudges them towards some changes. Don't be surprised if God's gifts to you do change you. Viktor Frankl, um, a Holocaust survivor and the author of a very enlightening book called Man's Search for Meaning, has this famous quote. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. And I like to paraphrase that quote for myself like this. There's a space between God's promise to us and its fulfillment. And in that space lies our choice. And in our choice lies our growth and freedom. God is not a dictator. He is the ultimate believer and upholder of free will and of freedom. He doesn't come to us like Hitler came to the Jews and the Germans. He comes to us to woo us and to draw, him, draw us towards him in a fatherly relationship. And here we see God approaching Sarah, and he leaves a space between his promise and his fulfillment. And we know that Sarah chose to take another step towards Abraham and towards his promise. We know that because within the year, Sarah births Isaac. Let's look at verses 13 to 14. And then there's only one slide after this. The Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This is neither the first laugh nor the last laugh in the story. Doubt has a way of creeping in as time passes between promises and their fulfillment. When Abraham heard this promise a fourth time at the age of 99, he laughed, and it was a weary laugh. Believing this promise had taken its toll on Abraham, it had been exhausting. But Sarah's life is different to Abraham's. She's not weary with the effort of keeping on believing. She's bitter and she's hopeless. When the promise was first made to Sarah, it was unlikely she'd been barren for years. And maybe in her mind she thought, okay, well maybe sometime before I stop menstruating I will conceive. But now we know from the Bible that she has gone through menopause. Now it is truly impossible. Sometimes we may interpret the context of God's promises incorrectly, and the content is what we need to hold on to. Sue and I were chatting earlier in the week, and she doesn't mind me sharing this, but she had this felt that one of the promises over her life was to be a mother, and she might have had certain ideas about the context of what that would look like. But she didn't imagine the details that would evolve in the beautiful way that they have. But the content of the promise has been fulfilled. We hear today, it feels almost like a wedding. We're celebrating that Sue is a mother. Back to Sarah. This is a promise she's been hearing for 25 years. And the writer of Genesis has, have, has been giving us clues as to how she's been feeling about it. She's had repeated disappointments have been driving against her like the Southeaster in February. Earlier in the story, Sarah convinced Abraham to take her maidservant to bed, and Ishmael was born. And what did Sarah say to Abraham when she suggested, hey, guys, her substitute? She said, the Lord has kept me from having a child. God has made me barren. Katya Adams spoke to our church about this passage a couple of years ago, and she asked us this question, which I'm going to ask you today. How often do you and I learn about God through our circumstances and allow our circumstances to dictate our theology? How often do you and I learn from God, about God through our circumstances and allow our circumstances to inform our theology? So Sarah has taken the delay in the fulfillment of God's promise and turned it into a lie that she believes about God. It's harder to believe in God's wonderful and likely promises that may take enormous faith than it is to accept disappointment and to move on and make our own plans. But making your view of who God is smaller to fit your disappointing circumstances is to accept that the, that the God in the, of the universe has limited power. Or it's to accept that maybe God has power, but he doesn't love you and he's not going to use his power for you. Maybe for other people, but not for you. Sarah starts to believe in a different God, and her bad theology leads to bad decisions. She decides to make her own plans. She offers up her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. She says, take my maidservant to bed and make a family for me. Sounds awful. Let's not forget that Sarah experienced similar things um, at the hands of Abraham when she was in various different lands, she was offered as a concubine to various different rulers for their safety. 
We must be very careful not to read these terrible things in the Bible and think that God approved of them. He didn't. Sarah doesn't just stop believing in the promise. She stops believing who God is, and she stops believing that he loves her. Some of us doubt God's power, but others of us, and I include myself, doubt his love for us. We may look around at the world and see the signs and the beauty of nature and, and the world and think, yeah, I think maybe there is a God. And we may think, well, if he made all of this, he must be really powerful. But we doubt that, it's, that he loves us, that he loves me as an individual. And if that's you, you're not alone. If you have a surface read through the New Testament, you see um, many passages. I'm just going to tell you about one or two where Mary, her brother Lazarus, has died, he's in the tomb. And when Jesus gets there, they call for him. When he gets there, it's taken him four days. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's not doubting his power. She's saying, what took you so long? Didn't you care? And the disciples, um, God's chosen ones in the boat, a huge storm rages up. And they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Julie said, no message. God is not unfeeling and disinterested in your pain and your life. He just knows more than you. We don't know why there was such a delay between God's first promise and its fulfillment. Sometimes the delays in our own lives don't have neat and easy explanations. But we do know that God cares and God sees and God has a plan and God always fulfills his promises to us. You can see the next slide. God sees Sarah's bitter, hopeless life, but he doesn't condemn her. God has grace for Sarah, and he has grace for you and me. He sees a little bit of, of faith that Sarah has, and he draws close to her. He maintains his promise to her. In the meantime, he gives her an invitation to wonder. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Children are great at this attitude of wonder. If you tell a child about a Komodo dragon in a foreign island that can smell meat from three kilometers away, their eyes pop up and they go, wow. Or you say, I know of somebody who had a tumor on a scan and the doctors, and then they scanned it again, it was gone. You can tell an adult the same story and they might give a bit of a shrug or maybe even a skeptical eye roll. And why is this? It's because it's difficult to wonder. It's hard to live a life of faith. It takes effort. It's tiring. We need to have faith like little children. And we need to cultivate that faith. We need to cultivate that wonder by looking at the world, by looking at God, what God's made, by appreciating radical acts of kindness, music, art, God's creation. When we face seemingly impossible challenges, God invites us to wonder, is this too hard for the Lord? Is this strange relationship too hard for the Lord to repair? Is my debt too big to overcome with God? And we know that Sarah, Sarah challenged her doubts and her bitterness and her hopelessness in the garden of her mind where faith was lying dormant and doubt was growing rampant. She allowed faith to grow and bloom again. And we know this because within a year, Isaac was born. Living a life of faith isn't easy. It's full of wonder. It's stretching. One of my favorite Tim Keller encouragements is, it's not the strength of your faith. 
It's the object of your faith which saves you. Sarah, was she a woman of flawless and immense, doubtless faith? No. But God uses a little bit of faith that Sarah has, and it's enough. We're nearly at the end now. Let's look at verse 15. That's my favorite one. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) Those of you who are getting paid by me to laugh here, I think you can do a bit better than that. (laughs) Financial implications might be high. This is the part of the story that really appeals to me as a parent. um, A couple of years ago, I was baking with my daughter Hannah in the kitchen, and the alarm went off. It was chaos, noise, I silenced the alarm, my phone was ringing, I spoke to the people from the alarm company, and then they said, oh, it was a panic button that that caused the alarm to go off. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. But I knew it wasn't, because we don't even really know where the panic buttons are. If an intruder came, came, we would be useless. But after I hung up, I thought, oh, where's my two-year-old son? So Hannah and I went looking for him, and we found him on my bed. And before we could even say anything, just as we walked into the room, he pointed at a panic button above my bedside table and said, I did not press that button. (laughs) (laughs) Authorities are still working to find the culprit. The parenting experts tell us that if a young child lies to their parent, it's because they feel afraid. Maybe the parent is too strict. And as you can see, none of my parent children ever lie. <laughs> Sarah distrusted God's promise. But if she'd understood God's character, she wouldn't have covered up her distrust with a lie. Sarah denies that she's afraid. She doesn't distrust God's power. She's afraid of his power. She distrusts his love for her. Like the disciples in the boat hundreds of years later, and just like you and I today, We distrust God's love for us rather than his power. The lies we hear have been spoken for centuries. They were spoken to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Don't believe them. And Sarah chose not to and she received the son of promise. God knows that we distrust his love for us. And that's why centuries later he sent his son to show us that love. Okay, we have our last slide here. Fortunately for us and for Sarah... Sarah does get to have the last laugh. Later in the story, Sarah births her son, and she calls him Isaac, which means to laugh. And she laughs again, and this time it's a laugh of joy and fulfillment. Some of us are still waiting for that laugh in our own lives. It's coming. And she says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears my story will laugh with me. And because Sarah told her story, and because somebody recorded it, and because we have taken the time and trouble to read it this morning, we get to walk in the path that Sarah walked in for us. Whatever you're going through in the season of your life, God can take your bitter and hopeless life and he can give you hope. God's promises will be fulfilled even if not in the time or manner that you expect. He who promises is always faithful. So take the hand of someone who's walked ahead of you in this journey and hold out the hand of your own for someone coming up behind you. Even when all hope seems lost, hope is never dead. As we believe that a resurrection is always possible. It's been a long time sitting. I just want to ask you to stand as we, we pray together. Um, I'm going to ask Dan and the band to come back up. Um,
If you feel comfortable, close your eyes and pray with me. Lord, we come to you today like Abraham did, waiting under the trees, expectant for you to speak to us and meet with us. God, thank you that you have grace for us in our humanity. Thank you that you see the little bit of faith we have and continue to pursue us, and that in seasons of waiting, you call us to trust in you rather than lean on our own understanding. Thank you that you always keep your promises. There are two groups of people who have been on my mind as I've been preparing this message. And if you find yourself in one of these groups, won't you consider letting God minister to you today, whether it's in your seat, standing, or whether you'd like to come up to the front um, and have someone pray for you, please do be bold. Some of us are feeling like Sarah when we laugh. It sounds bitter and skeptical. I believe God wants you to know that like a parent, he does not judge you by the lowest points in your faith. Distrusting Sarah was credited in the Bible for her faith. It's okay to have questions about God's love for you. It's okay to have doubts. Lord, we invite you into the garden of our minds and souls. We ask you to show us the weeds that are occupying too much of our attention. We pray for your nurturing hand to stake up our faith and gently prune away any ways we misrepresent who you are to us. Lord, please give us a tangible reminder of how you cherish us and how you are for us. A bruised we read, will you not break? And Lord, the other group of people I have on my heart today are those in this room whose life is taking a less celebrated path. A path the world doesn't celebrate and maybe even the church hasn't celebrated as it should. Those of you whose life isn't neatly wrapping up with a last-minute miracle like Sarah's. God, we thank you that you celebrate each of your children. We thank you that you celebrate lives that follow you, that don't fit the usual mold. We thank you that you look at our lives through a lens that captures the beauty of your kingdom realm, that you count our children not just in biology, but in all the souls we have impacted, that the wealth you value is often invisible to the world you created. Thank you for the taste of joy that we feel as we celebrate Sue and Levi today. Lord, I pray your balm of encouragement on everyone in this room today. Give us a taste of the way you see us in our lives and renew our focus on the unique path that you have for each of us.